Right, we're uh, here today with, uh, well, so far, one of the Northern Powerhouse Metro Mayors, Andy Burnham. Uh, we're just waiting for Steve Rotherham to join us uh, here in the downtown den. Andy and Steve have been on a, a press conference, which is slightly overran, uh, talking about the Build Back Better uh, initiative. Uh, and before we get into that, Andy, because I'm conscious that Steve, I'm sure, will want to uh, make some comments around the conference that's happened this afternoon. Um, let's just focus for a moment on what's been happening with uh, the, uh, the, I suppose, the response from Greater Manchester. We had Joanne Roney with us yesterday. Uh, and I have to say, Andy, looking at from the outside, you know, Greater Manchester uh, has responded superbly well, uh, very collaborative in its approach. Uh, and as you would expect, I suppose, from the city and the city region, uh, great partnerships that have been developed uh, through the public-private sector. Uh, and you've seen some great initiatives happening, haven't you? Yeah, that's right, Frank. You know, I'm very lucky to um, have inherited a place that has this uh, kind of partnership culture. You know, the strength of those relationships is, is real. I felt it in May 2017 when tragedy struck, uh, but you feel it again in moments like this. You know, there's a, a real culture of um, collaboration and partnership in Greater Manchester. I think it helps, you know, that we have a degree of control over health. So our health service is very closer uh, to our councils and um, police and other public services. So that, that helps us. But yeah, I mean, just to pluck out a few highlights, Frank, um, we put in place a procurement drive for PPE on our own initiative early on uh, and that certainly um, uh, paid dividends and is doing uh, for us. We ran a mutual aid system so that you know organizations were sharing PPE across the system. Again that shows you the trust that's, um, uh, that's there. Um, homelessness, a massive effort amongst um, councils, voluntary sector and others to um, get people inside. So over 1300 people have been supported in hotel accommodation um, and yeah just really uh, you know but, but it'd be the same in many ways in, in the Liverpool city region but uh, you know GM is kind of used to working in this way now and the more we get into devolution the stronger this culture gets um, I've been chairing a weekly sort of GM Cobra I suppose you could call it uh, and that has been helping sort of create that clarity if you like into the system so been uh, you know it's obviously a tough time Frank and uh, you know we'll remain so but yeah very proud of the way people have responded. Mm. Uh, welcome, Steve. Good to see you. We'll bring you into the conversation in a moment. Uh, um, just just before I leave that that particular subject of collaboration and you know some great private sector, public sector initiatives, as I say, um, one standout for for me, Andy, uh, has been the work that Sasha Lord has done with United We Stream, and uh, you know a bit of a revival in terms of memories from the Hacienda. Um, I, I had to laugh at your comment when you said uh, you got kicked off, didn't you, at one point and said, this is just like being back in the real thing when I couldn't get in. <laughs> couldn't get um, in yeah. I mean, it's raised over a quarter of a million pounds already, that particular initiative, hasn't it? It's just such a fantastic, fantastic idea and it's really caught people's imaginations. It really has, uh, Frank. You know, Sasha's uh, an incredible talent really in terms of the way and you know he just gets on with things it's fantastic to have somebody like him working with us um but you know 
that money is going back into supporting the nighttime economy. And, you know, that's what I asked him to do when he took on this role. So, my goodness, hasn't he done it in this, uh, this moment? And it's about a window on Greater Manchester to the world, isn't it? You know, everyone can, from around the world can look in and kind of get a taste of uh, Greater Manchester uh, talent, creativity. Um, it, it, it was something we took from Berlin, actually. So, you know, we can't claim the credit for inventing it, but we were quick in, in partnering with, uh, with Berlin. Um, and it was a very club-oriented thing, and obviously our, our services kept that. But we've had bands on there, like the Slow Readers Club. Um, we've had um, uh, Maxine Peak on, you know, all kinds of uh, different things have been on. Um, and yeah, it's gonna, you know, it's something we think we're gonna carry on building. There's even a rumour, although it's only a rumour at this stage, that there might be a Manchester versus Liverpool a DJ set by the Mayors, which, uh, we're in talks anyway, let's put it that way. We're in talks with our agents about it. Steve is, uh, that's one, uh, one Manchester Liverpool contest. I'm not sure he's relishing because he's only got one band to play into it and uh, he's, he's worried, he's panicking. But anyway, it might come off. So United we stream, keep, keep you never know what might turn up on there. Uh, well, that's a challenge that I'm sure um, Steve will be happy to get involved in at some stage in the future. Uh, but Steve, um, thanks for joining us. I know um, that you've had... Uh, this Build Back, Back Better uh, press conference today, and uh, that's overran. Uh, we've just been talking about uh, Greater Manchester's reaction to the crisis and that collaborative approach that uh, as we've always known Greater Manchester for, but of course Liverpool and the city region uh, likewise uh, always seem to rally in times of difficulties and challenge. Uh, and similarly, Steve, you'll have some great stories and great examples of how those partnerships have, have come to the fore and stood up and been counted in recent weeks. Yeah, Frank, um, hopefully I'm now live. Um, can I just say, by the way, I know I need my ear cutting and Andy needs his cutting, but that's the worst Barnet I've seen in probably the last six or seven weeks. So <laughs> you get the prize, Frank. Just I thought I'd, I'd tired of myself, but for you. How will you? My God. You know, with I think that's all right. You can always expect the bloody Reds to take you into the right. Frank, don't 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 listen to him. He, he appeared on the BBC six o'clock news in his tracky bottoms a couple of weeks ago. So don't, <laughs> don't take any fashion advice off him. You know what? I, I, I'm not letting that one go because they said to me, right? It's from the waist up. We'll film you from the waist up, just like now. I mean, I don't know what you've got on below the waist, Frank. You could. Right. Have I, I don't want to know what you've got on. It scares the life out of me. <laughs> but yet then he took a long shot and I've got a, a pair of, man, they wear Hugo Boss, you know what I mean? But I, am, <laughs> I am a scouser, you know, so. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, we, what are we doing? We, we, the, the Build Back Better is supposed to be about a different way of doing things. And that's because we've been trying for three years now to do things differently in the Liverpool City region because we haven't got that history of AGMA, of the 10 local authorities in Greater Manchester trying to work together for a decade or more. Well, several decades, wasn't it, really? Um, we, we haven't got that. And so we've started at a different place in this. But those relationships are really important to what we want to do together collectively to try and take things forward. And you'll see through the recovery phase how even those embryonic relationships 
will be pivotal to the success of what we do to try and mitigate the waste excesses and certainly some of the aftershocks of um, a post-COVID world. And, and we're, we're doing that now. We're, you know, the, the other day, the Prime Minister um, said you know, that he's going to support us in leading the recovery, which is good because we've got one point of contact now. It will be the areas where they've got Metro mayors that will be leading those recovery phases. And there will be more than one, of course. Uh, and he said, we, uh, I'm just reading off my notes actually, and he said uh, that we had his unflinching support. So if that's the case, what's it going to look like? What do we need to do? Who do we need to engage in this? Um, where do we need to go? What would we like to see Build Back Better becoming? And, and I missed the first bit, thankfully, because Andy was speaking. So um, the, <laughs> the, um, he might well have touched on some of the things that we've just discussed in the uh, the press conference, but that it started to catch fire. I don't know whether you know the people watching this, Frank, will be aware of just how much it's caught the public's imagination. This build back better, because you saw the survey, didn't you? That said that only nine percent of people want to go back to what it was before, and I think even that's a fairly high percentage. To tell you the truth, I don't think it's that many. I think most people don't want to return to the bad old days uh, and some of those bad old days were about decisions taken by central government with a one-size-fits-all approach that didn't do us any favours in the northwest and, and, and I suppose that's one of the reasons we've spoken to you before me and Andy about why we put ourselves forward for these positions as metro mayors you know Andy had a safe seat in Lee, um, unfortunately, no longer, but it was under Andy Burnham. Um, I had the safest seat in the country, and we could have been parliamentarians and going through what happens down there probably until our retirement days. And what we decided to do is to take this opportunity really to start to shape the destinies of the places that we both now lead. And it is about what we do in our individual areas, but the scale and synergies of Andy and myself being able to work across that geography to put aside some of those tribal rivalries, that started to pay dividends. And, you know, governments is starting to listen to us. Um, we had the, the conversation with the Prime Minister on Friday. And, you know, as people will know, uh, they are normally a, a honest and frank exchange of views. Actually, um, him being a former mayor of London sort of got it. He did understand where we were coming from and we're saying, if you really want to accelerate recovery, then there are nine areas with Metro mayors and devolution agreements and assurance frameworks that between them have more than 50% of GDP and that should be a starting point. So. Yeah, Frank, um, relationships internally, very important, but also externally with government and other stakeholders. Can I just pick the um, the point up that Steve's made there about the government, Andy, and, and its performance? Uh, and listen, I know now is not the time to get um, into the party politics of this. Um, but, you know, whether it's right or wrong, I, I've been fairly critical of the government's approach to the crisis on the health and care side of things. I think on the economic side, I have to give credit to, to Rishi Sunak. I think that he's stepped up and he's provided some 
in incredibly ambitious packages and, and packages of, of financial support that we wouldn't have dreamt of three or four months ago. Um, but, you know, for me, Andy, we were slow to get into the lockdown um, in Liverpool. We saw over 3,000 Madrid supporters arriving at Liverpool Airport and then going on to Anfield. Uh, we saw the Cheltenham Rest, uh, Race Festival um, go ahead. Uh, and now we've seen cases where PPE hasn't been provided and our care and health staff have been put at risk. So, you know, it's difficult, I think, although we are in crisis, if we don't identify these issues now, these things can be quickly forgotten, mate. You know, three or four months in advance of this, and we're all talking about economic recovery, and what's just gone can quickly be forgotten, as I say, brushed under the table. And that's why I think Bring Back Better is such an important campaign, because actually, if we are to learn the lessons of failure, we don't have to cast blame on politicians and political leaders and governments. What we do have to do, though, I would argue, is, as I say, learn those lessons and make sure that we start to value those things that we've all started to value in recent weeks over a sustainable longer term period. Yeah, no, I agree with your analysis, uh, Frank. Um, I think arguably better on the uh, economy side than on the health side. Um, although Steve just reminded everybody at the press briefing that the message was whatever it takes, <laughs> which feels less and less what is happening. Um, we saw last week figures that showed the virus is hitting the poorest communities hardest. And that's true of a lot of Steve's area and mine. But those same deprived communities lost a lot of funding last week because the government re removed a deprivation waiting from the funding. So, you know, you kind of look at things like that and you think, hang on a minute. Because um, you know, we're trying, we, to be honest, we're not been point scoring through this. We've been trying to preserve a degree of national unity, but decisions like that really do not help us at all really particularly when they've got all these commitments to leveling up as a, as a government you know you're taking money off lee steve mentioned it you know well, why you know that on what basis are they are they doing that so and i think with also with you know rishi has been very good but there's been gaps in his um his provision isn't there sort of gaps that because they're so small in some ways seem even more unfair on the people who are caught in those little gaps so people who started new jobs in uh in march um, you know, the new starter issue and no access to the furlough scheme. I think it's still not quite right for people who became self-employed in the last year. There's the issue of company directors. I think somebody's just emailed about that. You know, again, they've been left without any, any support. And those, given that the amount of money needed to correct those little things is very, very small. I just wonder why they haven't done that. Um, and, you know, I, I, I will keep appealing on the Chancellor to, to correct those things because he seems decent, um, you know, and he's done a lot of good things, but why leave those other things un, unsorted? On the health side, well, I dealt with swine flu, as people may have heard me say, a decade ago, and I don't think there can be a perfect response to a pandemic when it's in the middle of the health crisis side of it. And, you know, I made mistakes. Any government will make mistakes in this situation. The issue is, you know, how quickly do you respond to those mistakes? And, and do you... Um, also work with others to sort of you know build out the, the national response I think I think they've been too top-down I think Steve would probably agree with me you know the PPE situation we could have well we did do more and we kind of almost worked around what the government was doing um, I'll give you another example the NHS volunteer scheme it kind of made this big thing let's get NHS volunteers and three-quarters of a million people land on a 
a list that don't, doesn't do anything because then they took those volunteers away from local communities who could have probably used them more in terms of the community hubs we've got. So there are things they need to take on board. We hear they're about to sign a national contract on contact tracing, which again would be a mistake, I, I think. You know, they should lean on us more to, to do that because we've got the experts that, that know how to do it in our areas. And on testing, you know, they just were putting capacity in willy-nilly as they were chasing that target, that 100,000 target. And again, the local input was minimal. So there, there are definitely lessons, but I think this isn't the time for it. I've tried to be as supportive as I can. We all need the government to succeed to get the country through this. Um, but, you know, more engagement, I think. Uh, we had a call with the Prime Minister, it was welcome, but I think we should have had more regular input. You know, I've, I think it's right that Sadiq Khan is on COBRA. But why isn't a representative of the English regions on COBRA alongside him? You know, it felt a bit like the government was talking a lot about levelling up. Then the minute the crisis hit, it went back to its default, default London-centric mentality. And, um, you know, I'm afraid that, that mentality is still buried quite deep within the, uh, the British civil service. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, just on the devolution point, Andy, and I think, you know, again, something that we've been arguing for is... For, for more responsibility, more resources to be devolved. And of course, you, you did reference uh, in your opening remarks that Greater Manchester, unlike uh, other devolved areas, has responsibility for health and social care. How much of a benefit has that been to be able to, you know, direct those resources in a way that locally has fitted Greater Manchester? Well, it has been a, a real benefit. Uh, certainly through this situation where we, as I say, have much closer working, I think. We do increasingly function as one system. Um, it's not perfect, but it's certainly getting there all the while. You know, it's, it's something that kind of gets stronger uh, the longer that we have this arrangement. But even before um, this crisis, Frank, you know, we, we had our health service funding uh, homeless shelters. So I mean, recognising that health is built in homes and in communities it's not built in hospitals is it you know hospitals deal with the consequences of not having good um uh, healthy environments uh, in in communities so i think you begin to see some change through um through our system we've we've made a real innovation in the midst of this crisis that i'm very proud of and essentially without going into too much of the jargon it's it's a uh it's the equivalent is it's a black alert system for our care homes. So hospitals currently have an alert system, you know, that, that escalates through different levels. And, you know, they get to black alert and they don't receive new, new patients. We've now agreed a, an alert system for our care homes. So they'll function as a system rather than a, you know, a series of quite fragmented institutions. Uh, and that's happened in the middle of the crisis. So, you know, I think that shows you that health devolution is innovating, it's changing things for the better. Um, and we would, we would want to you know, hold on to it very, very strongly. I, I hope, Frank, coming out of this, and I've just said this to the briefing, that the, you know, in the way that the country on VE Day resolved to vote for a radical change in healthcare provision, which it did, I think coming out of this, we all need to resolve uh, to call for a radical change in care provision. And, and I've always argued that these two systems should be one. Um, health and care and I think our, our experience shows that you can increasingly bring them together closer as one so um, you know I think the Greater Manchester experiment is a route towards a fully integrated uh, national health and, and care system um, and 
you know, we'll, we'll certainly be making the, the argument for that. You know, the experience of people in care homes compared to the experience of people in hospitals during this crisis has been markedly different. And, and what's the justification for that? You know, we need, a, we need a system that can support people with dementia as well as it treats cancer and other conditions. And I, I just hope that that is one of the big things that comes out of this crisis. And Greater Manchester is really well placed to be a sort of pilot area for a, a truly integrated, fully integrated health and care system. I'm sure, Steve, that uh, that's something that would be on your list of ambitions in the future to take health and social care under the remit of the um, combined authority and yourself in Liverpool City region as well. But of course, what you do have is is power over transport strategy. Uh, and uh, of course, you've been having to direct uh, Mersey Rail in a different way. And I know conversations are ongoing about when we do come in back to work how they're going to operate as a service. We know it's a fantastic service, you know, Liverpool uh, and the wider city region, very lucky to have it. And also you made the call to scrap charges on uh, the Mersey tunnel. Um, now again, you know, that was very welcome in times of economic challenge, but it's costing a few bob. Um, so when Andy references the fact that we've taken a bit of a hit, both in Manchester and Liverpool, uh, in terms of budgets, um, I'm guessing that one of the conversations that you will be having with the Prime Minister, if you haven't already, is how we can start to replenish some of those uh, budgetary hits that you've taken already. Yes, Frank. Um, I, I think the first thing is that we, we talk about health and social care and devolved to Greater Manchester Andy and I are one on this. We believe in the N, in the NHS, but we believe that by having uh, input locally, you can improve the national health service to respond better, to deliver the things in the individual areas that are necessary. So it's not about breaking up the NHS. You can imagine that people from our political party sometimes are very nervous about when we speak about the NHS we're as protective as anybody else. And certainly, you know, you've got uh, Andy as a former Secretary of State for Health who's seen the inner workings of this. And, and, and there's no way that we're talking about its fragmentation or breakup. Um, just on public transport first, uh, uh, Frank, if that's all right. And then I'd love to touch on some of the things about preparedness. And, and we don't want to repeat those mistakes for what comes out of this transition phase under lockdown. But um, we had this conversation with Boris Johnson on Friday. And one of the, the bits that I had to um, feed back to him and request was public transport. And so I, I, I've split it into five different groups on public transport. And I'll, I'll, I'll try and whiz through these. So we're going to need some extended support way after lockdown. That's everybody's in agreement, all Metro mayors, party political or, or not. Um, and, and some of the reason is because we're not going to go back to a public transport system like we had before all this started. And one of the things where Andy's talking about local government finances, one of the things that that will affect the very fact that our local authorities were told whatever it takes and they were promised that they would get um, tranches of money, yes, with the social deprivation um, methodology, and then the second bit was per capita, which in our area is denied them £137 million 
pounds that they were promised if it had to be in a different uh, methodology. But all of that um, conspires really because the ability for our local authorities to provide myself and Andy with more levy for public transport has been destroyed because their, their base has been detrimentally impacted by government policy. So that's the, the first thing on that. On social distancing, which again, we've asked about, if we try and keep people two meters apart on public transport, you can, I mean, anyone can work this out. We're gonna be on at least a quarter or less per bus and per train than previously we had. And yet our operational costs are gonna be the same, but if we have to put more services on, they're gonna exponentially rise by if we have to put, say, say there was 50% capacity on two buses, but we need to socially distance further. We'll have to put two buses on for the same cohort, but we'll be getting less money on each bus. So, you know, I, I did spell this out to Johnson again, as a former mayor of London, he understands public transport, but he, he was actually quite receptive to, to some of this. The other thing is about restoring confidence in public transport. We're going to see modal shift. People now are going to say, do you know the best way I can socially distance? Getting in my own car. Yeah. That is not what we want. Think about the environmental consequences to that. And we've all declared because of climate emergencies and we're going to go back to that. No, thank you very much. I think we're enjoying the roads that are less congested and as a result, the cleaner air that we're able to breathe. And that's something that if we build back better, we want to maintain that. So what do we have to do about uh, instilling confidence that public transport is safe? We're cleaning our public transport systems more regularly. There's a cost to that. And of course, um, if we are going to move towards encouraging people onto public transport, should we be saying that people should cover their face? For me and, and Sadiq, three weeks ago, nearly four weeks ago, we said that face coverings should be an integral part of the transition on public transport towards a new norm. And I'm still convinced of it. I think Andy is um, um, supporting um, face coverings, whether it's face masks, whether it's mandatory, what type of face masks does that mean? All of that, that's the detail. But we should have been into the detail now because we should have had a steer nationally and we didn't. Boris Johnson going through COVID himself and then saying, I think we should talk about face coverings, it might be a good idea now, is not government policy. And there's a differential there that we need to somehow square. And then the last bit, um, Frank, is about commercial transport and, and public transport. The model that we've got now, of it being franchised and broken up and um, our areas deregulated and you know, all of that for me, the model is now broken. And I explained to him that it's not viable for us, myself and Andy and other public transport authorities to be picking up the tab for those services and those um, uh, extended and additional operational costs whilst we have some companies who will cherry pick the profitable routes and we'll have to subsidize the rest of the network that just cannot continue so something needs to happen and we need government to work with us on that one but yeah massive issue for us public transport our trains at the moment um, running on about 
16, 15, 16%, or um, buses even less than that, but that will build up. And we have lost 1.2 million pounds per week already. And the, the idea behind the tunnels was to ensure that our essential workers um, were recognized for the role that they were playing. But I've guess what, the number of people who are using the tunnels has grown and grown and grown each week as we can see the traffic outside our own windows grow and grow. It's not essential traffic. It will have to come to an end uh, and we'll have to put plans in, plans in place so that we can reintroduce a tolling regime. And I, I know that that's gonna cause a, a bit of a, a kickback and all that. Why do we need tunnel fees? Well, if somebody can tell me where that magic money tree is, mm -hmm. I'll go and plug the budget deficit that we've already accrued, and that will continue every single week until government help us out. Thanks, Stephen. Let's turn to the recovery plan then, Andy. And uh, as Steve's indicated there, we've not had an awful lot of detail. Uh, not sure whether the Prime Minister shared any any additional thoughts with you guys last week, and I certainly wouldn't expect you to reach any confidences. But of course, what Greater Manchester and Liverpool City Region will be doing is working up some very specific uh, regionalised, localised plans for recovery in the certain sectors um, that you will be conscious will be coming back into work uh, before others, and then there'll be other uh, parts of the economy that will require uh, more TLC going forward. I'm thinking particularly, Andy, uh, you know, the burgeoning hospitality and cultural sector that you've got in your part of the world and, and similarly uh, in Liverpool as well. Um, what are you, yourself, Eamon Boylan and co, um, thinking about in terms of recovery plans, what that might look like and how GM might be able to support its business community? So it's a good question, uh, Frank. Um, <clears throat> I've put forward the notion of a safety-led or a standards-led release from lockdown. So it's frustrating that we still hear talk in the media of a region-by-region region approach or a local uh, approach uh, or indeed a sectoral approach. Both, I think, pose real problems uh, because it could hold one part of the country back unfairly, um, depending on the mix of sectors or obviously if it is a straight regional uh, approach. And I think whatever we do, the whole of the country's got to move in lockstep together um, if we're not to exacerbate this sense of uh, unfairness. So I'm pleased actually it's, take, it's picked up some, um, uh, some, some um, uh, kind of currency in the last uh, week. Um, so the government in many ways, I think, is getting close to it by putting out this advice that they did yesterday. You know, what does every sector need to do to adapt? You know, and that's, that's how it should be, shouldn't it? You know, it's an invitation to business to innovate so they can get back to a form of work, but then keep, for those who are gonna struggle the most, and you mentioned hospitality, well, I think there needs to be a flexible furlough scheme there, doesn't, doesn't there? So uh, they need to have the ability to use furlough in maybe sometimes part, some part-time, but then on furlough for other parts of the week, or certainly going beyond June, because that would be a cliff edge that would, um, yeah. I think, send the hospitality sector to its destruction at the bottom of that cliff if, if they push them off it. So, you know, we've made that argument just now at the press uh, briefing. Um, so those are some of the immediate thoughts, Frank. You know, don't, don't take arbitrary decisions about region by region or sector by sector. You know, take a judgment on are they able to meet the safety requirements as to whether or not people can get back to work. 
and the phasing I think comes with the numbers of people you allow in each sector back to work. So Steve and I will both be thinking now about um, city centre office based organisations where we're going to have to say to them, look, maybe start with 30% and then maybe go up to 40, 50. Because with the reduced capacity on public transport, you know, we're going to have to manage this, aren't we? But let's not see it as a negative. You know, if you can allow more home working, more flexible working, you can stagger the start and end time of the day. You know, that might improve people's lives at the same time. So that's what Build Back Better is about. You know, how can we change things, but, but change things to something that works better for people than they did before? Because I know that the traditional nine to five working day in Great Manchester never worked particularly well in terms of the levels of congestion we've all experienced um you know in the in the early early morning and in the, the the evening peak so that's that's what it means in the immediate term uh frank more more to the future i'm saying well bring forward the things that you know we need to do as a society anyway so the housing crisis clearly should get on and address that now not just building kind of the bog standard homes of the past but modular homes zero carbon homes you know bring on new industry through this uh, lay that digital infrastructure, um, clean up the air, you know, give grants to SMEs and self-employed people to change their vehicles uh, to non-polluting vehicles. You know, that is a good way of helping them, but also capturing the benefit of this moment that we're living through. So that's where our thinking is, uh, uh, Frank, you know, making a kind of pitch to the government about accelerating what it was going to have to do anyway, so that we, 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 we kickstart the economy. And and let's be honest, we're going to have to be in the business of job creation, Steve and I. We're going to have to think really carefully about how do we create opportunities for young people who might otherwise be a lost generation through this, or those people who might you know, end up on the scrap heap if we think of the 80s, whatever, you know, just this idea that redundancy is nothing you can do about it. Well, there are things you can do about it, particularly when you've got capable combined authorities who are ready to put in place schemes that can run right across the city region. So that's the way our thinking is developing on it, on it Frank. Build Back Better, though, is a sort of invitation to everybody to think about, how, you know, it's not just a call on the government, it's not a political campaign, it's a, you know, it's a positive, collaborative, open invitation for all organisations to work with us to sort of think about how do we reshape things coming out of this uh, in a way that works for business, but also works for wider society as well. Uh, and Steve, before I, I go to uh, our audience for a few questions, we've had some emailed in and some on the chat uh, platform as well well one on the chat platform but we've had several that have directly emailed uh, just picking up on what Andy was saying in terms of Greater Manchester's plans for recovery I know again um, you know I've been involved in conversations at Liverpool City region level uh, and you've been keen to to look ahead as to what opportunities may come out of these difficulties but also I know that you've been thinking hard about how we can start to help some of those businesses that, as described earlier, have fallen through the gaps of the Chancellor's support mechanisms. Uh, do you want to just give us an update on where Liverpool City Region's up to in terms of that recovery process? Yeah, thanks, Frank. Um, so we've, we've got something called a recovery cell, but on the recovery cell, which is a statutory body through the... LRF, the Local Resilience Forum, there's people like the British Red Cross on it and, and um, British Water and all, all sorts of people because that's a body set up for what you determine to be um, an emergency. So for instance, in our area, 
the explosion over in New Ferry, you would have something like that and, and, and that would be set up. And I get that. But for a pandemic, we're going to need something completely different. And that's why recovery panels will need to have an economic focus as well as do the things that we've spoken about, skills and transport and environment and all sorts of, of different things. And it, it, it appears that the government are now saying that they should be led by uh, Metro mayors. In fact, Boris Johnson, I've got what he said. He said, um, I'll certainly want you to be leading. Um, that's what Johnson said on, on Friday. So um, he, he said we also had his unflinching support for whatever it's worth. Genuinely, for what I don't know what it's worth because you know sometimes he says things and it's not always the actuality of what then follows. So given that we've got this recovery panel process, the most important thing for us then is to get that bit right because that will have an absolute impact on the type of recovery in our individual areas. And, and you know, Andy's saying some of the things that we have, which are you know common between the, the, the two major areas, but our visitor economy, I'd say, it's certainly in the centre of Liverpool, it's probably more important than it is in a greater Manchester context. I think if you look at um, the, the GVA and all that sort of stuff from the comparison between the two, that's mega important too. So it'll form a, an integral part of the recovery. But it's going to be later on, isn't it? I mean, I don't think you're going to see bars and restaurants and clubs opening in the next few months. You know, I think that'll come after other things have been unlocked. And so what... Are we looking at in the immediacy? That's important. What's the medium term um, proposal? And then what's the long term strategy for the areas? And again, just uh, you can tell that we, we do speak, myself and Andy sometimes have exactly the same sort of thoughts. Uh, and it will be about, we can either sit back and just say, this stuff's happening and there's nothing we can do about it. And, and that's, the old style, or we can build back better and try and say, well, what are the things that we can do to intervene and to potentially create some of those opportunities? And I've, I did an exercise, we've mopped up some of the underspend. I've got to be careful with this. It's not underspent money. It's money that's in stasis because we allocated it to things that currently cannot take place because of the lockdown. So I just need to clarify that. It's not underspent money. But we'll put that into a pot straight away and we've said we can use that for certain things. Well, we're doing that at scale as well, Frank. We're looking at what we said we'd do before COVID, but what we need to do post-COVID now. And that's the shift, really. And it's a big shift in, in mentality and it'll mean that some of the things that we would like to have done and some of the projects that we would like to have supported, potentially we're not going to be able to do that because one thing is we need to secure what we've got now. And I've said the best way in which we can secure the recovery is to ensure that we do as little damage to the economy now as it's possible to, to, um, to do. So in other words, government needs to work with us so that we can keep things going because we want an economy to call an economy at the end of this. But then do we have to spend the money that the way that we previously thought we were going to spend it? And possibly not. 
But the third factor in this, which is the most essential, is that government, one, it needs to stop battering our local authorities because that does inhibit the ability of anybody to do some of the things that it needs to do. And the social deprivation factor needs to be put back into the methodology. But after that, where can the government get its, the biggest bang for its buck? That's what it needs to start looking at. Not leaving other areas behind, but where can it get the recovery started? Because the recovery helps everybody. And it seems to me like with the complementarity of Manchester Airport and Liverpool being a port city, with us you know, having um, both digital aspirations, with us having stuff around um, the uh, accelerated and, and advanced manufacturing industries, um, stuff around life sciences, things that we will need in the future. We've already got lots of those pieces of the jigsaw now. Let's build on that and let's see whether we can start to get some of that growth because at the end of the day, as long as it's inclusive growth, and that's what we both believe in, but as long as we get some of that inclusive growth, and I believe in community wealth building alongside that, then we can start to address some of the, um, the, the aftershocks that inevitably are going to come. Thanks, guys. Let me just um, take you to a few questions. We've had several around the issue of the self-employed, and I know you did touch on this earlier, Andy, but I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about those representations that you have made to, to the Chancellor and to the government, because, you know, both Liverpool and Manchester, actually, lots and lots of self-employed people. Steve, you, you yourself were, were self-employed. Um, so it is, a, it is an issue, it is a concern, and you know we've we've even on the um the chat here now you know we've got somebody saying self-employed and directors um are really struggling because the signposting isn't particularly great uh, and even signposting doesn't really re replace action that they feel is required so so andy i just wonder whether you've had any progress with those conversations that you've been having we got a little um a little bit of progress frank last week we had made um, a very big uh, case to the Treasury around the, um, uh, the grant scheme administered by local authorities being limited to those with a business rates registration. And we were saying that that was unfair on people who uh, rent, but whose business rates are part of their rent, or you know, who work in shared workspaces, often they are self-employed people. Um, so what came through late last week was, I don't know if people have, have noticed this yet, but there's been a, a decision that there can be more flexibility now in uh, decide, you know, opening up um, that scheme, that small grant scheme uh, to a much wider range of organizations. And I think that is progress. Um, and I'm pleased that the government have listened to us on that. So we're gonna discuss that at our Greater Manchester COVID Emergency Committee tomorrow. And I think what people will see is I think we can set our own principles for how we're going to do it. And I think people will see more about that soon. So that, that's something I, I know the company director's point, um, you know, I think Jane is raising it on the chat. You know, it's, um, it's uh, frustration, isn't it? You know, because of this idea that company directors are all very well paid and well off. And you know, obviously that's not the reality. Um, often they're very stretched in terms of, you know, putting their, their own uh, savings into their businesses. And again, to sort of limit them, uh, in terms of the access to support, I don't think is fair. Um, the issues that I mentioned on 
we, we got some movement on the new starter issue because they moved the date to the 19th of March. But again, I don't think that's helped a lot of people. So we've got to keep pressing on those things because I don't think, you know, we're going to any time soon, as Steve was saying, see a full return to the economy. And, um, you know, we, what the noise, I spoke to a Treasury minister yesterday. The noise we're getting back now, though, is that they've pretty much done what they're going to do, I'm afraid, to say, you know, I'm sorry if that disappoints some people on the call, but that, that is the message I'm getting back from the government. So what, what I would say is the campaigns that are running in these kind of areas, the forgot, I think it's called Forgotten Limited, the, the, the director's campaign and the new starter furlough campaign. I think, you know, we need to sort of maybe redouble our efforts, I think, really, because just leaving them out in the cold doesn't seem right at all uh, to me. So we, we will keep pressing. I can assure people of that. Um, but I don't think I've got enough progress to report to, to satisfy people on those points yet. Steve, you may want to pick up on that, but a, an additional question as well. This has come from Paul Lally at uh, Festive uh, Group, who uh, Liverpool-based company, company, but operates across the UK. Uh, Paul's business, as the title may give away, focuses on Christmas, uh, and I'm sure we're all looking forward to that in, uh, in for more ways than one. But equally, Paul has been quite innovative in that he's turned his attention because of the materials that he has access to from his Spanish. Uh, supply chain uh, to PPE. Uh, so again, you, I know that you've been involved in some conversations at government level uh, and Paul's just asking any clarity or likely to be any further clarity on what we're going to be required to, to have when we do start that return to work because obviously that can help him and other people in that sort of industry sector to, to begin to get those materials ready? I think um, you and Mr. Burnham, all your Christmases would come at once if they did curtail the league and, and not award a Premier title to somebody, Frank. Um, so I, I have got Christmas on my mind very much. The, uh, do you know what, genuinely, um, on, on the PPE stuff, we need to clarify what we're talking about with PPE because People just use it as a terminology, PPE, and it's not a homogenous thing. For me on a building site, PPE was very, very different than it was for somebody in catering who's a chef or whatever, or different in a hospital. And, and so when we're talking about face coverings, the reason was to try and get away from people thinking that they needed surgical or medical or some sort of scientific face covering. It, it's not. Uh, and PPE um, is, is really important because, uh, not, not just to the NHS, because in different sectors, we can't unlock the economy unless we have the correct PPE. And that's what it is, the correct or appropriate PPE. And there's loads of different standards and specifications of PPE for different things. So what we're trying to do is get the government to tell us what they want, because if they say face coverings, then we can get some sort of more simplistic uh, masks that will not put a drain on the, the, uh, the stocks of the NHS. So we don't want people competing against our frontline services. And that's why I think it's important that we talk about what is the, the, the most appropriate um, type of PPE. Uh, and and uh, the idea behind face masks is that I protect you and you protect me it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not going to get it because I've got a face mask on. 
but it reduces it. And some of the papers I've talked to Mandy about, some of the papers that I've been reading in the new medical um, uh, journal in Lancet and stuff, there's some evidence that it, it can reduce your chances by um, one in 30, sorry, by 36 times. So you'd have, you know, a one in 36 chance of getting something if you wore this, if, sorry, if everybody wore this, if everybody wore it. And then there's, you know, what happens if somebody doesn't have it and some spittle lands on it and that has got coronavirus within it? Well, if you didn't have the face mask on, it'd go in your mouth anyway. So, so there's loads of sort of misinformation. That's why we need, for once, the government to provide clarification. And what it does, it comes out with statements and then just leaves it hanging and we have to fill all the gaps. You know, I, I, I want to see um, how we can work with people who are, um, you know, involved in international trade or exports, what it is that we can do to help them export their stuff, but also what we need to import stuff ourselves. Loads of things, Frank, but it only comes from clarification from, from central governments. And I, I know, Jane, I, I mean, I'm genuinely heartbroken because the things that I know that she's been signposted to, she seems to be one of those people who are falling through the gaps. And, and that's exactly, if you remember, what I said would happen. Government come up with these grandiose telephone figure type um, announcements, you know, 330 billion. I don't even know how many zeros there are, but it's not helping some of the people that we need it to help. And that's why we need to have the flexibilities in funding to ensure that there are gains still going on after this to protect the economy so there's something to go back to and there's lots and lots of examples of people where they've not just fallen through the, the gaps but the safety net of a, a, a civilized society and economy hasn't helped them we can do that but we need the government to provide us with the opportunities to help them out of the situation that sometimes that they create I'm going to try and just squeeze two questions in at once here, chaps, because I know that uh, you're both pressed for time. Um, so, um, Kevin Johnson from Urban Comms uh, asks, given your recent discussions with the PM, uh, are you confident that the levelling up uh, agenda will be a priority for them as we emerge from the crisis? And linked to that slightly, and again, I know both of you will wish to respond to this. Sean Keyes from Sutcliffe's is saying... Uh, it basically, in a nutshell, I'll edit the question somewhat. He doesn't want to see a London-led response to the crisis. And I think we, we would all uh, know where he was coming from with that. You know, Liverpool, Manchester, other parts of the country doesn't want to be seen to be dancing to the London tune because London is a very different place to Manchester, Liverpool and elsewhere. So, uh, again, back to you, Andy, uh, both in terms of that levelling up question... Uh, and also, you know, are you a bit concerned that London may take the lead on uh, this recovery project and therefore the regions may get left behind? Well, it's frustrating, uh, Frank, uh, that London is in the room and we're not. Um, so we had the call on Friday, but that was a one-off call, whereas Sadiq is in there every single week, um, or even day. So... Yeah, I mean, I think you know the government's got to decide whether it really means this thing about levelling up. So let's take the prime minister at his word, and I do take him at his word. You know, he, he couldn't have been clearer that it was 
you know, his agenda at the heart of his government, and he said that on Friday. But then you get decisions that, you know, we've all alluded to this afternoon that kind of then don't really bear that out. But I think we're hitting the crunch here, aren't we, you know, as we get into this, um, in, into this thing. The key is levelling up so far has only been spoken about in terms of infrastructure. Now, don't get me wrong, infrastructure is really critically important. Um, but it's got to be about more than that, because this could be a moment where we're looking at a lost generation of young people. The disruption in young people's lives, particularly those who are at university or taking A-levels, massive, absolutely massive. And it could really derail them and you know, leave them in a really difficult place. You know, that, the British way of the past won't work for those uh, young people, i.e., oh, well, they're going to have to just find their own way back. I do think we're going to have to have a, a more interventionist approach here. Um, leveling up has got to be about people as well as infrastructure. And it's got to be about bringing forward the future that we've all talked about, you know, climate change and everything it entails. Well, this is the moment to, to get on and to do something uh, about that. So I think the fairest way to describe it, Frank, is the jury's out. You know, the government's going to have to put its cards on the table soon as to how we're going to approach this thing called recovery that lies ahead of us and I think the, the way in which it lays down the, the kind of foundations for how it's going to go about that will pretty much tell you whether or not leveling up is a is, is a real thing or whether it's a bit like the northern powerhouse you know just kind of a bit of a slogan but not but not not much substance I think we're I mean I, I'm, I'm just saying benefit of the doubt I, I hope the prime minister means what, it, what he says um, but I think we're probably about to find out um, very in very real real terms and you know, if they continue with a London representation on the, any national recovery committee, but none for uh, Steve, myself, and others, then I think that that will tell you all you need to know. Okay. Uh, and Steve, just um, final words to you in terms of the questions from the audience, and, and particularly pick up on that point of uh, a London-led recovery rather than taking account of the regions. And, and again, let me just make the point because we have some. Uh, people watching today from uh, from our Birmingham membership and, and Andy Street has been joining you in your calls to have that regional representation thus far it's not happened but uh, but just as I say Steve let me get your reaction to that question about London-led recovery over regions. It was a similar sort of question you know Frank on the uh, the press conference uh, and we have to be careful here that what we're not arguing is that London and its economy need to falter and there needs to be a huge detriment to London for us to gain from it. I, I don't think that's true. I think they, they, they can be symbiotic. We can win whilst London wins as well. Uh, and, but what we need is um, a fair crack of the whip, don't we? We need for us to be treated similarly to London. Uh, and London is... Um, eight and a half million-ish. The North, and I know you've got people from the Midlands and they'll argue their own case uh, at a later date, but the North, 16 million, 16 million people in the North. And we've heard for years since I was born, first muted it about the Northern powerhouse and all this sort of stuff. And it was meant to be a balance against an overheating London-centric national economy. That's what it was supposed to be and demonstrably has not worked because we haven't seen that um, rebalancing of the UK economy in those six years, seven years, whatever it might be. 
And so how do we genuinely get there? Again, Andy said, they talk about leveling up. It's not, it's, it's dragging back and holding down. That's what we've got at the moment. Release us, release the latent potential in Greater Manchester and in Liverpool City region. We're already trying to work together. Between us, I think there's about four and a half, five million, about five million people. That means that population-wise, we're bigger than Scotland. I know we're not a nation, but I'm talking about just Greater Manchester, Liverpool. And, and if you think about our GDP and GVA, I bet you we can compete against Scotland. Now, you know, I'd quite like to see Andy become the new Nicholas Sturge, and I, I think he'd be brilliant at, at that sort of thing. But in, in regard to representing our views and needs and our asks to central government, we do need somebody down there. We do need somebody who's like Sadiq, who's got, and Nicola Sturgeon, who, who's got that in straight away to government. Uh, and, you know, um, COBRA, when it meets, it considers the nations, quite rightly so, and considers London. And so I'm not having a go at Sadiq. I think Sadiq's doing a brilliant job for London and Londoners. We want the ability to do a great job for the North and Northerners, specifically for the Liverpool City region and greater Manchester populations. But also we can speak with uh, some authority about what would be best in the North of England and the Northwest uh, more specifically. So I, I, I don't think it's about that London need to come down a level. I think it's that we need to raise our game Steve, that we can start to compete with them. Steve, Nicola, <laughs> if I can just head back you, Frankie. <laughs> you know, I should have known that one was coming. Um, I, 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 Steve, well, this is breaking confidence a little, but it was such a good phrase that um, uh, I, I'll just repeat it here because it was one the Prime Minister used on Friday. Now, Steve, correct me if I've got this wrong, but when we were making these points, he said, well, yeah, I know that you, um, you know, You've got a point. And he says, and to be fair, the Treasury have always regarded this country as a, as a, a global, um, was it megalopolis, whatever it is, you know, a, a metropolis with some interesting countryside around it. I mean, he <laughs> didn't use that phrase. Uh, yeah. I know that's the way the Treasury have always viewed this country. And I was like, yeah, we were like, well, fine, yeah, finally. But yeah, so sorry, just to, without extending the point too, too far, you know. He, he, we come from a very different perspective, as you know, and we've got many differences with him, but he does see it from our perspective. You know, he's been in our shoes. He, he sees it from that ground level looking back up, if you like, as opposed to just having lived in Whitehall and looking down. And it makes a big difference, Frank. It does make a big difference. And you've got to hang on to that in this moment to say, well, actually, he probably is going to... Um, back mayors, I think, and back CAs, um, because he remembers the frustration of this, working with that Whitehall machine when he was in, in our position. So let's give, him, let's give him a chance and let's see if we can uh, you know, rebalance the country coming out of this. And if that's what you're talking about, Frank, if you're talking about the London thing as in Westminster, then yeah, I, I'm, I'm bought into that. I, I thought you meant London as you know, the metropolis um, as as a, as a city and as an economy, 
that's a different argument. But if you're talking about Whitehall and Westminster, I've long been a critic. You know how vocal I've been about some of the things that I witnessed and some of the things that I heard when I was a parliamentarian that are just not acceptable. But that is the perception of certain people and certain institutions down there. And we need to disavow them of their prejudices. And the best way we can do that is through devolution. Give us the powers ourselves and we don't need to rely on the likes of that lot down there. And he couldn't point to, to Salford or to Sefton on a map. And so why would you think that they've got the best interests of those areas at heart? They obviously haven't. They've failed us for decades. And the best way is if for us to, us to do it ourselves. And we can work. Me and Nicola are set up, mate. Right, listen, chaps, it's, as always, been uh, entertaining and informative in equal measure. Um, we've, uh, we've run out of time. I know Andy's uh, going on another call. I know, um, Steve, you'll be going to get your hair cut. So, um, can't even get the ball out, which I'd have loved to have done for five minutes. Um, uh, one final point I'll make, and I did make this statement uh, very publicly, but I thought that... Uh, I mean, I welcome Keir Starmer's election as uh, as leader of the Labour Party. I won't ask either of you guys to comment now. We've, as I say, run out of time. But I think a signal from from the party actually would be to give a, a regional voice as well onto uh, the shadow cabinet and to to the national executive if if it doesn't already. And I've nominated Nicola as well, Steve. So um, hopefully, hopefully somebody will listen soon because. Uh, I think Andy would be a, a tremendous voice for the whole of the Northern Powerhouse. So uh, so let's see if that one uh, grows legs to, uh, and, and carries forward, makes some progress. Chaps, great to see you today. Hope you uh, you stay well and uh, hope to see you at a live event very soon as well. Yes, thanks, everyone. Thanks, thanks. Andy. See you, Steve. Thanks, yes, Gareth. Bye. Thank you. Bye.